You're listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Join us as we have a fun conversation with certified experts and physicians about health topics for you and your family. It's Your Best Life, our one purpose. Well, buckle up, everybody. This was going to be a fun one. We're talking about technology in healthcare and all the things that come with it. And I'm joined by three guests today. First off, we have Matt Dietz, the Division Director of Digital and Virtual Care Strategy at Mercy One. Hey, thanks for having us, Adam. We also have Steven Nielsen, Manager of Digital Health for Mercy One. Excited to be here. And Dr. Joel Ward is the Chief Medical Informatics Officer for Mercy One Central Iowa Medical Group. Thanks, Adam, for having me. So the topic today, technology and health, and there's so many things that technology has become a part of our lives, just even in the last five or 10 years, just that recently. Um, and so I know you guys here are, that's your, that's your day-to-day bread and butter is how technology can work with healthcare. So really quick, give us a quick overview of some of the things that you guys are, are working on currently. Yeah, sure. I can start things off. Um, a lot of what I focus on uh, right now, at least, is uh, helping patients to be able to schedule their appointments online in any way, any provider that they need to see, and then uh, through that same process, then register for their appointments, check in ahead of time, do everything on their phone, and then they can even you know, pay on their phone. So many things that we have now is, is through that mobile device that everything's on the go. It's basically your, your virtual assistant. So making sure that you can schedule that appointment conveniently and quickly and on demand is probably is one of your probably number one goals then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you can uh, book a hotel room, you can book a a table at a restaurant online. If you can do your banking online, there's no reason why you can't do similar things with healthcare. Sounds good. Matt, uh, from your standpoint, um, what are some of the things that you'd like to tell us about? Uh, Thanks, Adam. Stephen just pointed out that not just Mercy One, but healthcare as an industry, we are a decade or two decades behind technological advancement compared to under other industries. One of the, the great questions that I like to pose to all of us is like, when was the last time you booked a hotel by calling them? Or when was the last time that you booked a flight by calling a customer service agent? Everything now is done at the palm of our hands. Everything done is done at the touch of a button when we want it. And healthcare and the health, the delivery of healthcare in itself has been behind, um, where we are moving, especially in the beginning of the Affordable Care Act, through COVID, through all of these changes with Medicare and payer and moving to value, all of these different uh, variables, we are seeing more and more going from a, a provider and a healthcare-centric way of how we supply healthcare to a patient demanded healthcare industry. And it is now because of that, that uh, looking at the convenience, looking how, how patients want to interact with healthcare is now more important than ever. And that's where we look at, at a high level, how can we take things and make it one click? How do we make it on demand? How do we do things from a mobile device or a web-based device, um, web-based system that historically we've never used? Everything's been manual and analog. Yeah, studies show that uh, patients nowadays do not want to wait a day to see their provider. Um, if that's the case, they will start looking around. And it is not even just a matter of making it easy as possible for a patient to get in to see someone, whether it's a, a provider, you know, your doctor, your nurse practitioner, but it's it's a dietary consultant, it's your physical therapist, it's everybody associated with the care team. 
And even addition to that, we have to make sure that the care that we're giving is quality care um, equal to, or um, my goal is to make it even um, better than, because you don't have to take the whole day off. You don't have to find someone to watch the kids. You, you literally can do it from practically anywhere and get quality care at the same time because we make it a team-based approach. Matt, you talked a little bit about how we're behind, but I know just when we think about just the past year, year and a half and and pandemic, there were a lot of things that had to be accelerated, greatly sped up through what probably would have happened in the regular phases of of planning and launching. So um, with that short-term timeframe in mind, when you think of the last year, what are some of the things that you like to check off, anybody in the group, anything you like to check off as as a great success, um, I guess a silver lining if there was one to, to COVID? Over the last five, six years or so, we've always considered that digital health and telehealth has always been an uphill battle. It's always how you can persuade the patient, how you have to persuade the provider, how you persuade administration and leadership to to move healthcare to a, a digital and virtual means. And to me, the greatest success so far has been unfortunately caused by a pandemic. It's also... The, the pandemic has been the largest catalyst for adoption and moving from a would like to have temporary type of, of mindset for telehealth to a this is permanent. This is now the future of healthcare. And so really the last 12 months has not just been talking about how we can create programs and connect patients. That's the easiest part. But what it's done is it's accelerated the physician and patient mindset of this is something that I can do forever. And I'd even add on that, that, you know, telehealth is a five-year, 10-year, some could argue, strategy. We had to do it within months to get it Days. up and running. Days yeah. to get it up and running. I mean, it was it was an absolute sprint. In most of our markets, you could have counted on your uh, fingers and toes how many telehealth appointments we were doing a month. And then in about a two-week period, we went to uh, thousands a week, and it was almost all of our appointments. And so, yeah, extremely proud of how the organization responded and providers who had you know, no experience in providing virtual care just jumped in there and learned on the go and uh, did what they could to continue care. And really the best way to look at it, and in my opinion, is to look at it as a symbol Um, The symbol is our willingness to progress into the future and meet our patients' expectations, meet people's expectations of where we should be. You know, as Matt said, we're so, healthcare in general is so far behind in terms of technology. Our our people aren't, our patients aren't, and so they're demanding this. And so how do we use this symbol of telehealth to show that we're, we're progressing into the future with them? We always try to meet the the patient, the people where they are. I think I think one of the mindsets that we have to get out of too is that older individuals have a barrier accessing technology and aren't as technologically savvy. I don't think that's the case anymore, especially when you think, you know, my aunt who is in her 80s has been using Facebook for the last 10 or 15 years. Like that going opening up a phone and clicking into an app isn't unheard of for people anymore where I don't think that you might have been able to say the same thing 15 years ago. So that probably works in our favor as well, right? 
the the idea that older populations are always prone to struggle with technology is a fallacy. Every generation, regardless of age, there are, are groups of individuals that are not technologically savvy, as we would call it. I mean, I'm sure that there's some millennials that that aren't the most technologically uh, proficient individuals. Uh, but what we do know is there are people who embrace it and want to learn. And those are the individuals who can who can teach. Those are the individuals who are, are great um our great beginning case studies when we when we look at research and look at quality data for those who embrace the technology. But one thing is um, that we are seeing more and more research is there is now the, the younger pediatric populations we do anticipate to be completely wireless. Um, you know, most kids these days, they were born in a completely wireless world. You know, uh, even I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old, but I'm aging myself. I mean, I grew up with VHS tapes and moving into, an, you know, being analog and seeing the Y2K tech boom. But, you know, children these days, they don't even know what broadband is. They were born in fiber. Uh, so we, we do see that, um, you know, the pediatric populations, things like Snapchat and FaceTime to them is a normal way of communication in their development rather than a way of learning uh, in healthcare. Uh, so we we definitely see. Uh, long story short, uh, older populations are much more likely to benefit from using technology than anyone else. Um, so we've been talking quite a bit about uh, telehealth and virtual care and providing access to your provider, but there's also um, some signs of technology and how it's being implemented into direct care in, in the hospitals, too. And Dr. Ward, I know that you've actually been um, leading some work here in central Iowa, if you'd like to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of the work that we've been doing really focuses on supporting the patient and what's the best way to support the patient in the hospital, and that's to support the bedside staff um, in the hospital. And so we've developed a virtual nursing program on our, our 7 North unit, um, approximately 36 beds, that, that does, I mean, essentially that. If, if a nurse needs assistance with something, then we have a virtual nurse to help. They can connect providers. They can connect pretty much anyone in the hospital um, to that room. And it's really increasing the quality of our care, while at the same time letting us load balance responsibilities across um, across the hospital and we're finding um, all sorts of improvements and because it's essentially a brand new technology although some places have developed similar technology we're finding that this could be implemented um, across so many different other aspects as the the only limitation for us is literally just our imagination so let's talk a little bit about what this actually looks like so this I invite, you can tell me if I'm wrong or right, but um, I envision this, that there is a computer monitor or a, or a TV screen that's right next to the patient bed. And then instead of hitting that call light that they usually would, where a nurse would actually come down the hall and talk to them, they'd be doing something on that monitor and then somebody pops up to, to see what they need. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, we have a computer monitor up, mounted up on the wall and it's a, it's a touch screen, so if someone needs something, they literally, all they have to do is touch the screen. That alerts our, our virtual command, and then they pop up on the screen and see what's going on. 
whether it's you know the, the patient needing something or the bedside nurse needing something, or even just connecting family. I mean, we're connecting families from across the globe. I think our farthest connection so far has been Taiwan. Oh, wow. And so, you know, w- w- when you're in the hospital, it's a scary place. Um, I come from a big family. If I'm ever in the hospital, my entire family of 30 plus people are going to try to shove their way into the room. Well, now that's not really, you know, possible, but we can bring all of them in and have everybody right there talking and have the nurse explain what's going on, have the doctor explain what's going on, have all of the ancillary services available for essentially on-demand questions. And it's really improving care. It's really letting that bedside nurse be that bedside nurse so that they're not stuck doing documentation or, or you know, I don't want to call them menial tasks, but things that prevent us from really forming those good relationships with the patient one-on-one because they've got, you know, 10,000 other things to do. So we're, we're really finding that it's, it's improving care substantially and it's improving outcomes and it's improving people's satisfaction when they're in the hospital, which is a tough thing to do. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ward made it uh, a very simplistic explanation there, but he's also being humble. It's a very complex process, and it's it's much more than uh, behind the scenes all of the work that the team has done. It, it's much more than just a computer being on a wall, which you can connect to a family member or another nurse. Um, there's so many other things in, in digital that um, the, one of the most common misconceptions is that digital health and telehealth means uh, a, a patient on a smartphone. It's Digital health can be any form of how we utilize new technology to overall increase the quality of care. And some of those other things that are on the back end processes of the virtual nurse program is, is simply doing better uh, quantitative tracking of of open beds so we can place a patient in a bed faster than we, what we normally have. Um, it just being able to leverage that type of technology, um, patients don't even see it, but we leverage it and we call it, it's technically under the realm of digital health. That really is the, the heartbeat of anything and everything we do behind the scenes and, and future iterations are going to be even more smart, more intelligent as we start to, envelope and and implement more artificial intelligence and machine learning concepts that uh, starts to do these algorithms um, and looking at overall bed placement logistics, uh, transfer logistics, clinical quality, um, and and clinical support for acute emergency needs such as a stroke, um, or even looking at post-acute world where you have these, these, you know, COVID patients who have been unfortunately admitted to the hospital and they're discharged home and being able to do better data tracking and vitals tracking with them in a home-based environment, um, those types of software systems are are really going to be uh, become forefront for how we, we use digital health to overall increase our, our digital capability here in Mercy One. It makes me think of an example that just happened this last week. A patient needed a service that's not offered locally. Um, classically, the patient would have um, been discharged, loaded up in an ambulance, driven to, you know, two, three hours away to another facility to then see a specialist that may say, no, there's nothing that we can do. We can do it all locally so that you don't have to leave town. You can get all the same care in one location that you could anywhere. Brick and mortar locations are um, potentially going to become a thing of the past for us. So, 
you don't have to let your family know I'm moving from this facility to this other facility. And, you know, family social visits are just as important in the holistic process of taking care of a patient as the nurse or the, or the doctor. So, you know, if you move three hours away to see a specialist that might say, you know, I don't need to actually do surgery on you, and then you don't have family nearby, you're alone. So we really want to look at it as the, the holistic approach to the patient using all of this technology. And all that technology has to be as easy, patient-facing, simple as possible. Yeah, care is really, it's no longer local and it's no longer episodic. Um, we've, for a long time in healthcare, relied on you know, a monthly or you know, biannual you know, checkup for a patient who really has a serious chronic condition that should be monitored daily. And you know, if a patient has you know, severe diabetes or you know, COPD or anything like that, uh, we really want to be able to know, you know when um, the patient needs to be intervened with or when they may, might need a home visit or just a call just to you know, check in and make sure that they're taking their meds because you know, that's really how we can best care for our patients and be radically convenient. I'm glad you brought that up. I was actually going to just ask, you know, there's always going to be people that really value those face-to-face connections. And even though there's always that techie way of of connecting with people, they really want to meet with people in person. So for those folks that are out there that really prefer that, um, what's, what's the best course of action? The increase of access for telehealth and digital health does not in any way, shape, or form reduce your access to see your provider in person. We don't see this as a replacement. Telehealth is not a replacement. Telehealth is just an additional option for those who want the added convenience. There will always be a time where a doctor needs to lay hands on a patient. You know, the the healing power of touch is so incredibly important within the healthcare field that there will always be times when there has to be a face-to-face encounter, you know, a human-to-a-human encounter. And we, we can't replace that. We're not trying to replace it but we want to make it still as easy as possible to get help however they can. So when you think about telehealth and virtual care, what are some of the hurdles that you can see um, working through as uh, you implement some of this stuff? The best analogy and probably the most overused analogy for, for telehealth is comparing it to the banking industry back when they started you know, moving everything to our phones, right? You know, Sure, they don't have to put as many people um, and the teller booths at the physical bank anymore. But they also had to invest in making sure that they had secure servers, that they had a website that was always up, that they had an app that was available and always working, that the whole process was, was you know, uh, fleshed out as much as possible to be as easy as possible to use. You know, I'm thinking I don't even know the last time I was at a physical bank. I can, you know, deposit everything from my phone, do everything I need to do from, from my phone. And so... A lot of people forget that just because we start the telehealth, a lot of it is mo- it's 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 a marriage, right? The long haul is what's the important part. That there there's so much infrastructure that has to be in place to make sure that that the long haul support works, and it's not just a one and done. We bought the technology, now we're done. It's that support of maintenance, making sure everything is secure, making sure everything is working, making sure that we're continually updating it. Because innovation isn't a jump forward every five years. Innovation is continual baby steps. And that, that takes time. We're very excited to, to hear over the last three weeks that 
the state of Iowa has uh, decided to invest over $100 million in a grant program for increased broadband access for all of our residents. And when we think about the hurdles, from you, we, we think about what's the very beginning. And the very beginning is patience and, and people need to have the capacity to, to speak to someone virtually. And we're very excited the state is is going to be extending $100 million in grants for increased broadband. Uh, so even if you're you're not a, a healthcare utilizer, you can watch Netflix faster now even. <laughs> and um, then, the, then the second problem is even though if we extend broadband access, there are a lot of patients in one of the most recent studies from the Iowa Communications Network that upwards of 20 to 25% of of our residents in the state of Iowa still don't have a smart device. They don't have a device with a camera. And Mercy One is dedicated through multiple funding sources to provide uh, devices and equipment for our patients in limited settings uh, to have a smart device so they can connect with with the, their providers in some of our cohort research projects that we're working on. And uh, so we're, we are very much... Um, proponents of of the work that the state's doing very much proponents of the the work and the proposed legislation at the federal level with um, increased funding for broadband there as well and the FCC and we are we're excited to be on the forefront of expanding that type of of access and and higher internet speeds to our our Iowa residents yeah back to the uh, conversation we were having earlier about the assumption that our elderly neighbors, you know, don't like or can't use technology. It's really you know not that. It's you know oppor- opportunity and experience you know with technology and you know digital care has a great potential to meet and uh, help to alleviate you know many different you know, gaps and inequalities in healthcare. But the biggest barrier to that is the tech gap, and you know broadband's a big one you know for that. Um, affordable devices is a big one and you know once that can be you know met then you know many other challenges can certainly be uh, taken on some of the really cool ideas that we've we think about and there's some days that we we just sit in a room and we we whiteboard some of these more futuristic concepts but when we look at some what some of the other industries are doing they're not so futuristic you know we've had we spent an hour one day talking about how we could do prescription home delivery via drone like, you know, if you created a network of drones and you right, so e-prescribing to the pharmacy, the pharmacy puts the prescription on a drone and the drone goes to your doorstep. I mean, it, it sounds outlandish, but I mean, if you're in New York, I'm pretty sure you can do wine delivery with a drone now. So, right. Yeah. There's so many cool things that we can do with technology that's not really considered the traditional digital or telehealth world. That would be so interesting to think about in just overall convenience of how you get things. And, and we ask ourselves, why can we not do that with healthcare? We're not delivering groceries in two hours, but that could be something that eventually future partnerships. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the, the basic concepts of an idea of just innovation take digital and telehealth out of it. But if you are a, uh, you know, a patient who's high risk, who sees a numerous specialists and then you see your nutritionist and dietitian, partnering with a company like a Whole Foods or, or whoever to, to do personalized meal planning and food delivery straight to your doorstep. I mean, that, that'd be a great 
healthcare service and is also a great community-based program, especially with a, a myriad of patients in just Des Moines, not including the rest of rural Iowa, who have food security issues. Uh, so we think about a lot of those types of not so much innovative anymore ideas. They're not even original. They're just how do we take these concepts that have already been perfected in other industries and we use them for healthcare and general health-related issues. If I'm playing with my dog, Kelvin, and I trip over his ball and I sprain my ankle, why can't I have an x-ray machine come to my house? And then if it's broken, set up the appointment. If it's not, have someone just show me how to wrap it. Which, when you say that, the initial reaction is like, that sounds pretty outlandish and ridiculous. But actually, why not? Why not? And these are the questions that you're asking and revolutionizing with. One of the cool things that I have I found a lot of interest in and um, done it, dabbled it in a little bit historically is, is 3D printing in healthcare. And one of the larger side industries growing in healthcare is orthopedic 3D printing. So if any of you remember breaking your bone and like you would like get that like really hard cast and you couldn't move anything. Well, 3D printing is a tenth of the weight. Um, it's mesh honeycomb printed. So it's, um, there's, you know, airflow. It's cool. It's you're, cool. Not sweating, you're not sweating. You're not sweating. Um, and you can do customized printing now based upon your bone structure. There's, you could you could get online today and internet search. There are X-ray machines that are specifically built for three D printing that not just takes a picture of the break, but also shapes what your everyone's femur is shaped different. And so those are really cool things that we're looking at it from an innovation standpoint. Uh, now there are also again, Stephen and I were talking this morning. There are some not so innovative things that are just convenient. Uh, uh, the example that I gave is if. I, in Des Moines, I take my, my dogs to get bathed every once in a while. And if I can get a text message from my dog groomer with a link to pay my dog grooming bill online, we should be able to do that with our providers. Mm -hmm. uh, simple things like that that are convenient. So you don't have to mail a check anymore. You don't have to wait for a, a bill to come in the mail for then you to go log in online and it takes you a month a text message to pay your bill with a click of a link. Those are, those are simple things that we're doing just to decrease the amount of time it takes to utilize a service. Yeah. Uh, even looking at how people you know, date these days, uh, it's kind of a thing of a past just to, you know, meet, you know, someone random through friends or anything like that, or, you know, at the bar, I'm sure people still do that, but a lot of people are online now, uh, finding someone you know that they match well with uh, you know online, and it could be someone you know in a different city. Who knows? And I mean, there's potential to do that you know with providers. What provider do you align with on a um, personality basis, and how you you communicate? Um, and then you know, with people you know shopping around, reading reviews for restaurants and you know products. You know, people want to know what people are saying about their uh, a doctor, what their you know their rating is, and there's potential to do that. And so, yeah, like Dr. Ward said, um, our imagination is just the the biggest barrier. And can you even imagine doing exploring that process? You're building your family, you're moving to a new town, and you have to pick a new primary care provider. Well, where do you start? 
And, you know, a lot of people are going to Facebook and they're doing like the need recommendations for, but you're right. Like with some of those matching type of apps, swipe right, swipe left or what have you, um, reading a bio and saying, well, this certain physician or per healthcare provider looks like they kind of jive with, with, with what I'm all about. And so, yeah, that's something that I can completely, um, can see. So yeah, not so unheard of. Um, you know, it, it, that's one of those things. This is so much evolving that things that we would have thought were um, out there a little bit ago, last year, the year before, those are very much reality now. Yeah, if, if you really like The Simpsons and Star Trek, you'll get along really well with Dr. Ward. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that is the most exciting is when people ask us, well, what does a year or two years from now look like? And right now, technology is moving so rapidly that we don't even know. We are so excited. And I think that's part of the adrenaline of the things in two years we'll be talking about. There's a decent chance some of them are original. They haven't even been created yet. And it's the, it's the thrill of talking about the new that really is uh, what drives the concept of digital innovation uh, here for, for Mercy One. I want to say thanks again to all the guests we had today, experts in technology, Matt Dietz, um, Dr. Joel Ward, and Stephen Nielsen. Thanks again for joining me today. Thanks, thanks for having us, Adam. 